following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Scripture reading tonight is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, and as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so you will not be dependent upon anybody. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Uh, Let me begin with uh, prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you who spoke to the prophets and the apostles and who spoke through your Son, Jesus Christ, speak once again to us, right here and now, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be uh, back uh, in the building, preaching in front of like a live audience where I get to see people's faces. Uh, been preaching to a screen for way too long, so it's nice to actually see you here. Uh, I think the last time I preached in the building was that like first week before full lockdown and we had, like just had some cameras and there were a few people in here. Uh, we were, I was still making jokes about, uh, you know, hoarding toilet paper, right? You remember those days? It's good. Or that there was no bread on the shelves. Uh, and it, you know, it was right before that groundbreaking uh, documentary of Tiger King, you know, it hadn't even come out yet. So it's been a while to say uh, the least. Uh, But it's great to be able to return and preach in front of uh, you all here tonight. Uh, And as maybe some kind of uh, combination of providence uh, or the preaching rota, or maybe a cruel joke, our text tonight nearly forces the preacher, i.e. me, uh, to talk about sex. 
Thanks, Aaron. Um, right? Like, I, I can't get around it, right? It says it right there in the text. Avoid sexual immorality. Control your body. Don't be lusting like the rest of the world. Could he, James, can you just turn me down just a bit? I feel like I'm really, like, yeah. I'm going to yell a lot more in the sermon, so I feel like I've got to start small here. So, now, fortunately for me and the comfortability of us all, uh, our passage isn't only about sex or about Christian sexual ethics. Looking closer, Paul is using a particular situation to address the larger point of how the people of God should live. For Paul and many other uh, biblical authors, the life of a Christian should be characterized by holiness. We heard last week that this was Paul's prayer for the church in Thessalonica, that they would be blameless and holy in the presence of of our God and Father. But what exactly does it mean to be holy? Uh, tonight, I want to kind of unpack and explore that term in a few different ways. So uh, just a roadmap of where I'll be going tonight. Uh, first, we'll have a brief refresher uh, of what it means to be holy. Secondly, I want to uh, deconstruct some of our more unhelpful ideas uh, about holiness that we might have uh, before moving on to the positive and life-giving descriptions of holiness, namely that holiness is a God-initiated and God-empowered process an unhurried journey of quiet, faithful obedience. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, let's start with Holiness 101, which might be a refresher for you. Uh, For something uh, to be holy, it needs to be uh, set apart for a particular or special use. Uh, It's not the common stuff that you eat uh, dinner with, right? It's the fine china, right? Uh, In the Old Testament, God is shown to be holy, set apart from all others, He is the creator, and the rest, you know, all of this, is the creation. As creator, he declares things to be holy, and the first of which uh, is a day, the Sabbath, uh, in which creation, all of us, is invited to imitate the creator. We can rest on the Sabbath day because God has rested. We also see in the books of Exodus and Leviticus that God's holiness demands some respect and reverence. That getting too close to God in an improper way could have some serious consequences. Uh, An analogy I've heard that captured this idea well well, is something like the sun. Its energy gives light and warmth to our world, but if you get too close to it, or perhaps go out without the sun cream on on holiday, you're going to get burned. Uh, That energy is just too much for us. And in the same way, God's holiness can be dangerous for things that are impure. And perhaps you are beginning to see the problem here, right? Humans generally have a tendency to mess things up, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. We have a huge capacity to do wonderful and amazing things. But we also have a shadow side, one that can easily lash out in anger or be hurtful to others and so on. These things, as you could have guessed, make us impure uh, or not holy, simply because we are not acting like our Creator has intended us to. And here's the problem. If we want to be connected to God, the source of all being and life, then something's got to give. And this is where, I think, purity culture comes in. Have you heard this term before, purity culture? Uh, It was really, really big in the U.S., I know, during the 90s and 2000s. Maybe books like True Love Waits or I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, And you had the whole thing about courtship, Uh, there were the promise keepers, there were purity rings and purity pledges, Uh, maybe modest is hottest slogans, you're all familiar with this? Uh, Now, 
even though I know it was more vastly popular in the U.S., uh, an Anglican priest and theologian named Hannah Baylor uh, has written on uh, how this trend was actually uh, popular as well in the U.K. And one thing that struck me uh, from her piece called I Kissed Purity Culture Goodbye um, was that Purity culture in the UK is far more subtle, right? Its message is, at, is often packaged together with legitimate and good Christian teaching, and thus it can be really hard and really difficult to pull those kind of uh, notions apart. Uh, now, this entire subculture of purity culture, uh, I believe, was really well-intentioned. Uh, likely, there was lots of subconscious ideologies that are informing these decisions, but for many, the thing uh, that... Uh, that was purity culture was intending, uh, the thing that purity culture was intending to address was our holiness problem. God is holy, and if we want to be with him, then we have to be holy. Makes sense. Unfortunately, here's what happened. Holiness was equated with sexual purity, right? Which Which meant that one's virginity became the ultimate status of purity. What it meant to be a follower of Jesus was that chiefly you didn't have sex unless you were married. But what happens if you do? What happens if you get caught up in the moment? What happens if you let your mind wander or maybe you look at pornography? What happens when you aren't holy? Well, holiness then becomes something you can irrevocably lose. In the case of one's virginity, once it's gone, well, it's gone. And yes, there's forgiveness, blah, 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 right? But if holiness is defined by sexual purity or even worse, by virginity, then really God can only restore you to a diminished state. Cue the examples of used chewing gum or unsticky cello tape or the battered rose passed around the room. You know, who would want that? And this is why talking about holiness... Uh, or reading passages that discuss uh, sexual immorality can be really difficult. Because just like Thessalonica in the first century, today, sex is literally everywhere. Uh, It's in our TV shows, our movies, our news, our friends talk about it. But as Christians, that's the thing, well, you're not really supposed to do. Uh, But inevitably, everyone in some capacity has sinned in this area. But instead of being open about our failings, we can let that shame control us. We can let it dictate what we see in the mirror. And this one, one area of our spiritual lives can then overshadow the rest of our discipleship. I think this is where it is difficult to separate the unhelpful purity culture beliefs from the good and life-giving sexual ethics that have been practiced by Christians for nearly two millennia. That sex is a gift of God designed for marriage, and that there are indeed some ground rules to these relationships. And I think that this is what Paul is getting at here in our passage this evening, that holiness uh, within this particular context of marriage is characterized by love. The man can't cheat on his spouse or sleep around while, you know, his wife's at home with the kids. Uh, He can't just walk out on his family because, well, that's not loving. Or maybe the spouse isn't distant but instead domineering. They threaten, they yell, they abuse. Well, that's not what a loving relationship looks like because it looks nothing like how God loves his people. Marriage is holy insofar as it reflects Christ's love for the church. And so Paul perhaps is envisioning a specific situation in Thessalonica where marriages or relationships are being torn apart by adultery or abuse. 
And look at verse 6. Paul explains what will happen if things don't change. He writes, No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister because the Lord will punish them. Or put differently, He will avenge those who are hurt, those who are abused, those who are in pain. God is on their side. God's holiness is not something to mess around with. And again, this is why it's so difficult to talk about this subject, because there are serious consequences. What we think about sex matters. And and, and as we've seen now in the past few years with movements like uh, hashtag MeToo or hashtag ChurchToo, it reveals what's at stake if we're not pursuing holiness in this matter. People, and more often than not women, can be hurt and suffer and be abused. Far from being harmless, pornography traffics and abuses men, women, and children all across the world. And additionally, it damages your own soul and affects how you view your neighbor. What we think about sex matters tremendously. But Christians, I believe, can take sex seriously without having to adopt all of the ideas and practices of purity culture. Because really, that's just swinging the pendulum to the other side, right? It can still be just as hurtful, especially when one's spirituality is confused with one's particular understanding of virginity or sexual purity. But the fundamental issue with purity culture is not that it, ta- it, not, is not that it takes sex too seriously, uh, though in some ways it does, but that it lacks the proper understanding of who God is and what God's holiness actually looks like. You see, what God's holiness is chiefly characterized by, uh, the way in which God is principally other, distinct, set apart, or holy, is that he is the God who is with us. As revealed by the prophets in the Old Testament, embodied by Jesus Christ, and confirmed by the apostles, God is ever willing to be found in the company of sinners. His holiness does not restrict him from those who are struggling, not, nor, cut, nor, cut, nor cut off those who are confused in this complex world of complicated relationships. No, his holiness is defined by his delight in rushing out to welcome home his wayward son or daughter. It is defined by his ever-readiness to love and forgive. Can we grasp that? Can we, The God whose brilliance and holiness outshines a hundred billion stars, whose glory fills all of heaven and earth, and how he expresses his untold power and might is that in your shame, your fears, your brokenness, yes, even your past mistakes and regrets, in those moments, God, our holy God, puts his arm around you and says, it's okay. I'm here now. I still and always will love you. And nothing, nothing can ever change that. And this, my friends, is the gospel. That Christ has reached out to us. That he has pursued us. That he has bled and died for us. That he has reconciled us because of his great love for us. And at this very moment, he is interceding on our behalf. Could you imagine what our world would look like if we as the body of Christ showed that same love. 
What would Durham or our communities or our neighborhoods be like if we expressed that same type of love to our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes? A love that, uh, that showed no regard for worth, status, uh, class, or so-called moral purity, where our first instinct was for, to kindness and mercy rather than judgment. We might just be accused of the same thing the church in Thessalonica was, that we are turning the world upside down. So what is holiness for the Christian? What does this all mean for us? Well, three very quick things. Number one, holiness is less of a state or status and is more about a process of becoming. It is that word in verse 3, sanctified, or our sanctification, It's the Christian's journey of becoming more and more like Christ. And the destination is not that achievement of being holy, but that the experience of being one with Christ, being fully known and fully loved by our Creator. And as with most journeys, it's not a straight shot to the top. Our our path can twist and wind, and in the midst of our struggles of our particular seasons, it can feel like we've lost our way. But Christ has not abandoned us. He is right there with us, and there is no need for shame. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. All of this, every step, is part of the process of sanctification. So holiness is a process. Number two, holiness is both God's work in us and our work in the world. Uh, In verse three, Paul explains that our sanctification is the will of God. Holiness, then, is God's calling on our lives. It is part of our identity as believers, and the proper response is to live up to that, uh, to to be holy, which, as we've established, is tough sometimes. But Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, puts it this way, right? Work out your faith with fear and trembling which I think is what we're all trying to do, and sometimes is really terrifying. Uh, But the next verse is so powerful. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the God who calls you to be holy is the same God who is stirring up your affection, strengthening your desire, and then also energizing and empowering you to do all of that work. And that means that we can go out into the world confident that God is with us and that he is going to work in our world through us. We are not alone on this journey, nor do we travel with the heavy burden of impossibly high expectations that it sometimes feels like we have. Jesus welcomes the little children. He eats with sinners, and he himself has given us this invitation says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God has called us to follow him in holiness. And this is what Paul makes clear at the end of 1 Thessalonians, where he prays, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, right? Make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. 
So holiness is a process. It is God's work and our response. And number three, holiness is not heroic. I think deep down we all want our lives to count, to have a deep sense of purpose that maybe even we could help change the world. And I think when we imagine what a holy person looks like, it's the Christian who's, you know, made it. They've sold all of their possessions. They fast 40 days at a time. They share the gospel in giant stadiums and, like, everyone gets saved. Their church is massive and growing, and they've got that great book deal. Uh, They are able to move amongst important people. They have the ability to really shape the world. And that might be all good, but look at what Paul says in verse 11. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I mean, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? Make it your ambition not to be too ambitious. God doesn't call you to be the best at everything. It's not your job to save the world because God's already done that. No, God has called you simply to be faithful, and that might look like many things, but holiness is rarely heroic. Instead, it looks like that quiet faithfulness of a grandmother praying for her grandkids. It looks like the steady but constant love of a friend as they once again help you move out of your flat. The patience one shows when listening and how they can comfort someone in need. It's in those small unseen moments where Christian holiness can be found. My sisters and brothers, over the past 18 months or so, it has been really difficult, right? I know that some of us, our faith is hanging on by a thread. And God help us if there's another lockdown. But check this out. Paul's encouragement to the church in Thessalonica was this. Keep going. You're doing great. Love and follow Jesus every day, more and more. We don't need to explain to you about loving one another because you're already doing it. You're rock stars at it. You're great. Keep up the good work. And I think that is God's encouragement to us today. I see you. I'm proud of you. All those things, those little things that you've been doing that no one, you think no one notices, that no one sees, well, God has. He has been with you in all of them. And as a church, I believe God is proud of us, and uh, the love that we have shown each other has been wonderful, and I cannot wait to see what God calls us to in this next season. So allow me to end with a a really short quote from a holy but rather unheroic monk named Brother Lawrence. He was uneducated and spent most of his life working in a kitchen or repairing sandals. And he writes about our worship to God, saying, quote, He requires no great matters of us. A little remembrance of him from time to time. A little adoration. Sometimes to pray for his grace. Sometimes to offer him your sufferings. And sometimes to return him thanks for the favors he has given you and still gives you. In the midst of your troubles. And to console yourself with him the oftenest you can. Lift up your heart to him, sometimes even at your meals and where you are in company. The least little remembrance will always be acceptable to him. You need not cry very loud, for he is nearer to us than we are aware of. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.